Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Hey, um, really, really excited to be here. Um, I was able to be here a few months ago, and uh, the fact that somebody invites you back means that maybe I didn't completely mess it up. Um, I'll, I'll watch if some of you duck out the back because you're like, no, I remember this guy. No, I, I am, I'm really excited to be here. Um, as, as Jeff mentioned, I'm with uh, Frontline Church. Um, and um, what we at Frontline um, love is seeing church planting and church strengthening happening. And so for us, watching Redemption Church get planted and watching it grow and watching it strengthen has just been a, a massive joy for our entire church. But especially for me, just personally knowing Jeff and knowing Chris and knowing the team and, and being, being here uh, kind of along the side from, from the, not being here in services very often, but, but being here at kind of every step. And so I just want to say to you all, um, Man, we're so encouraged by, by what's happening here. We're so encouraged. Uh, uh, the growth, the engagement in the city, the love of the city, uh, caring for families, caring for students. So um, just from, from Frontline, uh, we love you guys. And we're really glad you guys are doing this and, and pray blessings for you. Um, I'm going to pray for us. I'd ask for you to pray for me. We're going to jump into uh, Proverbs 7 and, uh, and look at what this passage has to say to us. So um, God, we're asking you to speak to us today. <clears throat> we're asking you to speak to us. Um, you gave us your words because we need your word. So help us see it, help us love it, help us understand it, help us walk in this, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I am, uh, I'm really excited uh, to, to hear you guys have been in Proverbs. I was, I'll, I'll be honest, I was a little nervous when Jeff uh, told me the series just because I've never preached out of Proverbs before. It's like I've read it, studied it, engaged it, but never actually preached out of it. So it's like, I'm not quite sure how this is going to go. We'll see. Um, and uh, and as, I was, as I was thinking about it, um, Proverbs 7 just began to really deeply resonate. So I made sure that uh, from Jeff that this hadn't been covered before, and I was glad when he said it hadn't. Um, be- because what's interesting about um, the book of Proverbs is here's my concern. Sometimes the book of Proverbs, we begin to view it as merely a set of life hacks to try to improve life and, and kind of get along in, in life, right? We sometimes go to Proverbs um, simply because either our life is going pretty well, but we would really like for it to be a little bit better. And so let's go to Proverbs to just kind of fine tune life. Or, or life's not going well. You've gotten yourself in a bind. People have come against you. Stuff's not going well. And so we're like, oh, Proverbs, that has wisdom. Let's go to Proverbs to get me out of my fix, out of my situation, out of, my, out of this destructive situation. But when we begin to see Proverbs as merely advice and counsel on how to do wise things, we're actually missing one of the core messages of the book. See, Proverbs is not merely about 
how we live wisely and how we know wise things, know, know wise information. It's that we actually love and know wisdom itself. That's the invitation of this book. That's the invitation of this book. Um, I, I think when you think about wisdom, especially in American history, we just go straight Ben Franklin, right? Early to bed, early to rise makes a man. All right, see, we've all got it, right? And he had a whole bunch of them, right? And how many of them, how many of them do you actually uh, exhibit on a regular basis? Yeah, come on, I thought, right? Um, this, this, is, this is the way in which the church has often treated Proverbs as merely a little holier version than Ben Franklin's statements. But that's actually not what's going on in this book. That's not what's going on in this book. The book is not about how we know wise things or do wise things. It's how we know and love wisdom itself. So turn to Proverbs 7. We're going to read this chapter and then dive in. Proverbs 7, starting in verse 1. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Now he's going to step into a parable here to explain what he's getting at. Verse six. For at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, a woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and in every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices and today I paid my vows. So now I come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him, and at full moon will he come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. And all at once he follows her, listen to this, as an ox goes to slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till the arrows pierce its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Oh now, O oh sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all the slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Wow. Wow. I think we can resonate deeply with this. The, the, the intensity at which this, uh, this teacher is trying to capture our attention, right? 
I want us to just walk through and look at a couple of key points in this chapter and then ask some questions of like, what do we do with this? What, what does this mean? Um, first, we need to recognize how this chapter fits into Proverbs as a whole. It's going to help give us some context. You see, Proverbs, um, you can, scholars will often say that Proverbs chapters one to nine are, are kind of serve as an introduction to the book. It's, it's setting out the foundation for what's coming in the rest of Proverbs. And you have two primary voices in these nine chapters. You have one is that of the wise parent, the parental figure speaking to sons and trying to, trying to give them wisdom that's going to lead to life, right? The second voice you get is Lady Wisdom herself. Lady Wisdom itself actually speaking to, to the, the son of the things that he ought to do. This is the last chapter of the parents speaking. So for six chapters, for most of the six chapters, it's been this parental figure imploring and calling the sons and calling her children to, to wise counsel and to walk in the ways of wisdom, warning that there is also a, a folly ahead that if you go to the wrong direction, you find death and destruction. But if you follow wisdom, you find life, Right? What's going to happen is right after this chapter, we're now going to go to Lady Wisdom is going to speak. And so this is the way of the parent setting up the student or the, the son to hear the words of wisdom. And it comes with really stark terms. It comes with a really solid warning. In essence, you hear the, you hear the, the parent saying, look, son, this is not a game. This is not a game. What I'm talking about matters. I want you to listen to me. There's a stark warning here. So let's look at the story. I just want to, we're not going to, we can't cover everything here in, the, in this chapter, but I want to look at a couple of points. Notice in verse seven, I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the use a young man lacking sense. So this is, the, the, the person is, is, it's a story as if they're looking out their window and they're watching among all the young people of the city, this idiot. <laughs> that, that's, that's the translation, right? Lacking sense. We won't keep going down that road. We've got one lacking sense. We've got this moron that's about to do something really stupid and we're all kind of like, oh, let's watch. What does the idiot do, right? We lean in. And, and here's what we see first. It's passing along the street, verse 8, near her corner, taking the road to her house. Now listen very carefully to verse 9. In the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. See, this is a hint, this is a tip. When you see darkness in the text, it's alluding to this idea of covering, hiding, living in shame, don't let anybody see. In other words, the young man here knows exactly that what he's about to do is not right. And what he wants is to make sure nobody sees him. Nobody sees him. It's under darkness of night. Like, can I just, can I just jump ahead for just a second? This is us. How often, when I know I'm going in a direction that God would not have me go, am I just hoping no one sees? We're living a life in shadow. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Also in this, you see this woman 
that's representing folly, representing the, 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 the opposite of wisdom, is that she is wily of heart and that she lies in wait. Here's, this, here's the realization. Sometimes we think wisdom is simply, there's, there's like wisdom that's positive and then there's neutral. So I can either live life in neutral or I can live on the positive side of this by being wise. That's actually not what the text is saying. What the text is saying is that there is a wise way of living, but there is also an enemy coming to drag us down. This woman here, the, the, the folly here is presented as this woman who's wily of heart, waiting, 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 waiting to jump and pounce. An enemy, an enemy, not neutral, an enemy says here uh, in uh, verse 13, she seizes, she seizes him and kisses him. She's giving this young man what he wants. All the desires of this young man's heart, she's now fulfilling. In other words, he, she's not, he, he's not, this woman is not pouncing on the young man and then going, hey, hey, uh, you want to go do something really boring and dull and dry? Okay, sure. All right, hey, um, she, she's, not, she's not trying to draw him away into a life that's just, that doesn't tickle the des- deep desires of his heart. She's, she knows what's in his heart and goes, hey, I can give you that. Hey, I can give you that. Come closer. Come closer. The, the desire, the, the, the intentionality of this woman is unnerving. She promises pleasure. She hides it from her husband and she pulls him in under cover of dark to hide it. And then it says in in verse 21, listen to this, with much seductive speech, she persuades him. When we are drawn towards folly, when we are drawn away from the wisdom of the Lord, it doesn't happen overnight, does it? Look, you know this, you know this, that those ways in which the, the, the ways in which sin draws us in, it's not like one day I'm living fully righteous, everything's good, I'm not walking a life of sin, and then I think I'm just going to go kill a bunch of people. Right? It's one little step. It's one little step. It's listening to that word and being persuaded. Being persuaded. Being persuaded. This is what's happening in this text. She's, she knows what he wants and she lures him in with, with this speech that's persuasive. There's malicious intent here. And then the, the, um, he ends this section by saying this. With her smooth talk, she compels him and all at once he follows her like an ox goes to slaughter. Proverbs 7 is not talking about life hacks to make a mediocre life a better life. It's saying there's a way of life and there's a way of death. There's a way of life and there's a way of death. So what do we do with this passage? What do we do with it? 
What I want us to focus on are three things that I think are, are pulled out of this text that are going to help us understand what to do with this. And that is to recognize that there in this text is giving us a picture of two voices, two lovers, and two ends. Two voices, two lovers, two ends. You see, if I, if I go back to Genesis chapter 3, in, chapter, in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, what does God do? Read a result, huh? Creates everything, right? Is it good or bad? Okay, good. You guys get a gold star. That was very, very, very good. Um, in Genesis 1 and 2, God creates everything, and it's good, and it's perfect. And he lives in relationship with Adam and Eve. They live in re- relationship with each other, and it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture, right? Well, what happens in Genesis 3? In Genesis 3, they have been hearing, for two chapters, they've been hearing the voice of a creator who calls them to wisdom, who calls them to life, who calls them into relationship, who is walking with them in the cool of the evening in the garden, and and life is thriving. But here comes a second voice, right? The voice of the serpent, the voice of the enemy, the voice that comes and says, hey, this fruit looks really good, doesn't it? And the text tells us that for Eve, as she looked on the fruit, she saw that it was good and looked enticing. See, these two voices, the voice of wisdom and the voice of folly, the voice of life and the voice of death, the the voice of God and the voice of the enemy have always been there. There are always two voices. If I go throughout the biblical text, I see over and over and over again. At times I see the prophets speaking true things from God, but if I look at also in the text, you see these false prophets who are lying and saying all kinds of things that are wrong and destructive, right? Two voices. Two voices. Second thing, two lovers. This is critical for us to understand. If we're going to understand the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs is not simply about knowing true things, knowing wise things, but about loving wise things, about loving wisdom. There are, what we see very clearly in the text is this is not a story of a young man lacking sense who just doesn't know the right things to do and just doesn't know enough stuff. Look, if he knew better, he wouldn't be walking in darkness, would he? He wouldn't hide what he's doing if he actually thought that what he was doing was right. He knows the right thing. It's not an issue of knowing the right thing. It's an issue of loving the right thing. It's the reason that this language just makes us a little uncomfortable. Some of you, as, you, as I was reading, it was like, oh, I forgot that was in Proverbs. The reason that it used sexual allure and the reason it used adulterous language is because this is not an issue of knowledge. It's an issue of love. There are two lovers put forward in this passage. Do you love wisdom or do you love folly? Question of, we're talking about two lovers and there's two ends. Guys, we cannot miss this. I said this a while ago. There's not neutral and good. There is life and there is death. There's life and there is death. When I I think about this... um, I think of Frodo in uh, Lord of the Rings. So there, get out my geek card and just put that on the table. Um, I just love Lord of the Rings. And if you don't, I'm going to pray for your soul. Um, 
just a, not the movies, not the movies. The movies are horrible. The books are amazing. Um, no, I know I just offended half of you too. Like, wait, I've never even read the books. Um, Frodo, what, what's happening the whole time throughout the book? There's constantly two voices in his head, right? There's the voice of Gandalf, the, the voice of wisdom, and the voice of who? No, I'm not doing the Gollum voice. But there's Gollum, right? Gandalf and Gollum. You've got two voices whispering in ears. What do you have also? Two loves. You have the love of the Shire, the love of the peace, the love of Middle Earth working as it ought to work, the love of these relationships that are in place, but there's also the, the love of this ring, this love of power, this seductive, dark force that's pulling, pulling Frodo away from his other loves, right? And what do you see are two ends. You see two ends. One, the gray havens. In the end, there's going to peace and Middle Earth being restored. And the other is the destruction of Middle Earth, right? If you haven't seen the books, go read them. But, but that's just another picture of the way in which there's two voices, two loves, two ends. That's exactly what, what um, the author of uh, Proverbs 7 is trying to tell us. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Well, th- there's a couple points that I want us to, to say that are fairly obvious, one is that we need to know that learn to listen to the right voice, right? If there are two voices speaking to us, we need to le- learn in our hearts how to discern right from wrong, wisdom from folly. How do we discern the voice? At what points do we, are we learning to recognize when that voice is the voice of the enemy or when that voice is the voice of the spirit? So we need to learn how to discern the voices. The second, I would say, is we need to cultivate right affections. We need not... We, we need to love right things. We need to understand and discern in our own hearts. Am I loving what's right or am I loving what's wrong? What, what's the motivation of my heart? And then number three, we need to recognize what's at stake. We need to remember that this is life and death. So happy Sunday, you're dismissed. Go do that. You guys are like, yeah, we know, preacher. We know that. How? Because every single one of us, if we're honest, will recognize that those are things that we have not done well. And if we look through the Bible, so I love, I love well, no, I don't. This is being facetious. I love the, the idea that the Bible is just full of all these spiritual heroes. I'm like, really? Are we reading the same Bible? I don't see a lot of heroes in here. I see one. We'll get to him in a minute. I, I don't see a lot of heroes How's that? Is Adam a hero? No. Adam and Eve listen to the voice of the serpent and d- death and destruction come. I look at Abraham. Oh, look, God calls Abraham and makes him into a, uh, builds him into a nation and a family, comes and showers his affection on him. And next thing you know, Abraham's out selling his wife out so he can save his own skin. Go down the patriarchs, the rest of Genesis. There, that's not a happy bunch. David, man after God's own heart. Yeah, right until he stole Bathsheba from her husband and had him killed. Solomon, the writer of most of Proverbs, the man of wisdom himself. If you read the end of his story in, second, in, in, in Kings, it doesn't go well. He ends up being, he, he ends up falling into the exact picture of Proverbs 7. 
He's allured by the love of many women. And he strays his heart from the Lord because they begin to draw his affections towards other idols. The writer of this who gives us this wisdom was caught in the very thing he warns us about right here. And I can just go on and on and on. Jesus calls 12 disciples. Well, let's look at John and James. Eh, They don't do so well. Let's look at Peter. Yeah, he didn't do so well. Let's look at Judas. Definitely doesn't do well. What I need you to understand is we need to recognize this, that if Proverbs 7 is up to us, we will fail just like everybody else has before us. If I approach Romans, or approach Romans 7, if I approach Proverbs 7 from a, okay, three life hacks, let's go after this, you're going to fail. Because eventually that seductive voice is going to start drawing you one step closer. One step closer to folly. One step closer to death. Just that small whisper. It's just that small little thing. Nothing big. Come a little closer. And we will all fall into that trap. So I said if you look at the Bible, you don't see very many heroes, but you do see one, right? Because there's only one exception to this history of failing ever. And it's Jesus. I want you to turn to Matthew 4 for just a second. Matthew 4 is interesting in the fact that it's almost, it's almost Proverbs 7 played out just in a very different end. I want you to listen. I want you to think about the similarities of what we just read in Proverbs 7 to what you hear here in the beginning of Matthew 4. Matthew 4, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's a profound passage. It's a profound passage. You have to to get your head around the fact that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness in order for him to be tempted. Why? Because we need somebody who's going to do it right. Because if all we have is another story of another failure, we're all doomed. But Jesus comes as a, another Adam. He comes as a, another Abraham. He comes as a, another David. He comes as a, an, another um, Solomon. He's tempted by the devil. Verse 2, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That is the understatement of the century, right? No food, 40 days. Yeah, he was hungry. And the tempter came, look, look, the voice, listen to the voice. The tempter came and said to him, if you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, just turn these stones into loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man should not, shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to a, the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will just fall down and worship me. 
Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Jesus does the things we just said that we need to do. He discerns the voice. He recognizes that this is not the voice of his Father. He recognizes this is not the voice of the Spirit. He recognizes that the voice is one of destruction and a tempter and and, uh, an enemy that's coming to seduce and to tear down. Watch what what the enemy does. The enemy goes after his desires. Now, before you think that this is merely the, the enemy going to Jesus, hey, um, I know you're hungry. Like, if you make yourself a happy meal, you'll be a little bit better and you'll probably be able to pray better. You should go ahead and do that. What's in the text is something bigger than that. He's actually playing Jesus's desires against their, each other. Let me ask you this. If Jesus could turn all stones into bread everywhere in the world right now, what would happen to hunger and poverty? Gone. Does he have the power to do it? Yeah. I mean, this is is the God who says a word and Saturn gets rings, right? He's got the power to do it. But he's telling, he tells the enemy, he said, but it's not, it's not by bread alone that somebody lives. In other words, Jesus knows that if he does that, he's actually pulling away from his people the ability to trust him for the bread that they need. But he's playing, the enemy is playing Jesus' desires against, against each other and then saying, hey, let's go this direction. Let's go this, just, 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 turn, just turn this bread, or this stone into a happy meal. You'll be okay and then you can do it for a whole bunch of other people. And Jesus goes, no, that's the way of destruction. And the other, the, other, the other things are very much the same. He's taking a deep desire that, God ha- that Jesus has for showing everybody who he is and unveiling the fact that he came to save them. And he goes, yeah, that's not the way that I'm gonna be lifted up. I'm not gonna be lifted up on the temple. I'm gonna be lifted up on a cross. You see what I'm saying? And if he gives into the voice of the enemy, he ends up going after one subtle desire and leaving behind the right desire. He knows what's at stake. Jesus knows that if he, if he gives into the temptation, then the one hope for life for all of mankind is gone. Because if Jesus listens to the voice of the enemy, he can no longer be the perfect sacrifice that we need. And he cannot be the one who understands temptation and can walk with us in it, as Hebrews says. He could not be a mediator between God and us. He knows what's at stake. So he discerns the voice. He desires, his desires are in, in right order and he knows what's at stake. But where's our hope? Because if our hope at this point is merely in, oh, look, Jesus did it. Now I can do it. We're still in the same bind we were in the beginning. What we have to see here is that what Jesus does is he takes our place, he steps into our failure, and he succeeds where we failed. And then what he does, he takes the death that every single one of us have deserved because we've all chosen the way of folly. We have all been the ox led to slaughter. We have all been the ones that have led our, let our, uh, let our 
ears hear the tickling words of the enemy and have found ourselves in death. And Jesus steps into our place, takes our death upon him, and gives us his life. That's our hope. Our hope is not merely that Jesus was a good model. Our hope is that Jesus is our life. He is our life. And he takes my death. That's our hope. Our hope is that Jesus is our voice that we listen to. Our hope is that Jesus is the lover that we cling to. And our hope is that Jesus is the end to which we go. I want to take these in reverse order as we wrap up. If we're going to approach life the way that Proverbs 7 is is calling us to approach, if we're going to walk in the way of wisdom, we're going to have to start by seeing that Jesus is the end. The book of Revelation uses this language that that Jesus is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. The The one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. Why? Because life is not about us walking simply side by side with Jesus towards some goal. It is us watching towards Jesus who is the goal. If he is our source of life, he is who we go towards. He is the end of all things. He is the end of all things. Are we walking simply with Jesus or are we walking towards him? Do we see all of our life orbiting around the fact that he is where we're going? Second, we need to experience Christ as lover. It's really, really profound and not an accident that the way that Jesus compares his bride in Revelation, or the, the, the way he compares his church and those that have, been, that have trusted Christ, is he, he calls us as a bride. And he says that the celebration at the end of time is a wedding. Why? It's deep love language. That all the, all the joy that he's poured into marriage to make that, that beauty possible is to give us a picture of how he wants to relate to us. His desire is not just to be a buddy, a pal on the side. It's to love us and to be loved and to be tied together in union that only marriage can even come close to starting to point. No marriage compares to that one, but at least this gives us a vision of what we're trying for. What we're trying for in marriage is to give us a picture of what it is that God says, I will do one day. I will marry my bride. Not because you listened to Lady Wisdom and did everything perfect. It is because you have been brought into Christ. He has taken your death. He has given you his life. And he has chosen you, and because of that, you're his bride. You're not his bride because you go and fix your life from this point on. You're not his bride because you figure out how to live out Proverbs 7. You are his bride because he made you his bride. Can we receive that? Can we experience that? Can we rest in that?
And lastly, we need to learn to listen to his voice. Because Jesus is not saying, hey, I fixed everything so you guys can just keep going to Lady Folly and I'll figure, I'll figure it out in the end. Why would I continue to walk towards death when Jesus just laid his life down to save me from death? But I know I'm not strong enough. I need to hear the voice of Jesus and follow him. This is why he says of his sheep, he says that my sheep hear my voice, they know my voice and they follow me. And we're not gonna follow perfectly. But we are wanting to pursue after the one who gives life or else what we're going to find is we're going to find death and destruction. We need to learn to listen to his voice. He's given us his words in the scriptures. He's given us his word. He is the word as the incarnate one, and he has given us his spirit to lead us in all truth. As we do this, we're going to find ourselves begin to reverse out of what Proverbs 7 was talking about. Instead of walking in darkness, we no longer need to walk in darkness and shame because we know that even our deepest, darkest sins and secrets are already known by the Father. They're already known by the Spirit. They've already been covered on the cross. We've been outed on the cross. And now I can walk in openness with my brothers and my sisters because I actually need them to help me learn how to listen to the right voice. No longer living in shame. It gives us an ability to live in community in a new kind of way because we are fellow travelers on this road, but we are also there um, as fellow encouragers. We're going to be quick. If, as we begin to do this, we're going to be quick to repent because there's no reason to continue to hide. There's no reason to continue to hide. And then lastly, I would say this, that we want to work, we end up working from life towards life. This actually comes back to the community piece as well. As I'm walking in life, what I want is I want my brothers and my sisters to walk in life. And so we're going to walk together and we're going to walk from life to life. But we're going to do it together. And so here's what I'd love for us to do is just, I'm going to pray for us. I want you to spend just a little bit of time searching your own heart. Because in us are all these corrupted desires that we have. And what we need is Jesus to give me a new heart, right? If Proverbs 7 is not just about knowing right and doing right, but actually loving right, I need a new heart because often I love the wrong things. And so here's what I want to ask. I want you to ask. I want you to spend some time, just you can close your eyes, posture yourself before the Lord and, and hear from him. Hear what the Spirit might be saying to you this morning. Are my affections rightly ordered? Or is my heart deeply desiring things that are, that are only going to bring death and destruction? I want you to ask yourself, are you living in the light with other people around you? Or are you hiding stuff off in, in the shadows because you don't want to get outed and you're afraid that people might know what's going on in your life? And I want to ask you this. Are we listening to the voice of Jesus and hearing that as the way of wisdom? Or are we simply spending all our time listening to a bunch of competing voices? Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us. God, I pray that you would help us see more clearly 
what you're telling us here in Proverbs 7. And God, I'm asking that you would change our hearts because we want hearts that love wisdom and not folly. Would you do your work in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.